following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Our first reading this morning is from the book of Colossians, uh, first chapter, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The second reading is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And the last one is from Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you that we can be here and be in your word this morning. I pray that you have a message this morning for our hearts, that you have something to help us grow together as your people. In your son Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about Jesus walks. We're looking and saying, hey, we walk through this life, that as we go forward, there's not really a way to fast forward. I was talking to my brother-in-law a couple weeks ago, and he talked about the kids growing up because it's mind-blowing to us that his oldest, Violet, is now in second grade. And I, you know, it's like, wasn't she just born? And now here she is already that deep into elementary school. And he goes, yeah, it's, how do you put it? The, the days are fast, or the, year, the days are slow and the years are fast. And isn't that the truth about life? That like, while we're in it, it's like, oh my gosh. Could this day go any slower? You're looking at the clock. When's it time to go home? When am I done with this class? When am I done with work? When is it the weekend? You know, all those things. But then all of a sudden you turn around and go, wasn't it January two days ago? And so as we go through this life, it seems like we have these moments where it's like slow, slow, slow. And then you look up and you're like, how did we get here? So we want to talk about as we walk through life, as we experience that together, Jesus walks alongside of us. We started that out last week by just talking about Jesus walks alongside you. That as you go, he is with you. In fact, he is already there. We talked about the depth and the need of grace, of his grace, whatever is happening. Today I want to talk about something a little different. I want to talk about how Jesus walks alongside us as a church, as a body of believers together. Now church, when I say church, you know, that can conjure up a lot of different things. This is the church I grew up in. This is Christ the King in Kingwood, Texas. My dad is the pastor there. 
I grew up through, um, we moved there when I was four. So I grew up, you know, preschool all the way up to graduating senior year of high school. I worked there on and off through college and right after college. Um, but that is where I grew up. That was my home church. And I watched it go through many different periods of growth, of uh, periods of, of struggle, of all kinds of different things. Now, this is a very different looking church. This is St. John Lutheran Church in Young America, Minnesota. This is the church where two weeks of summer, we would go with my grandma doling. This was around the corner from her. Now, what I love about this is it's this old school church in a small town. I mean, it is a cool building. But what my mom told us every time, my grandfather doling was the church handyman, custodian, you know, all the above. So when it would snow overnight, the dolings would be out shoveling snow off those steps. And so what was really funny, it was grandpa doling, grandma doling, and five daughters doling. So the five daughters and grandma and grandpa, especially if it was a Saturday snow into a Sunday, would be out there early shoveling that snow. And all I could think is, thank God I live in Texas. <laughs> but as you would, I couldn't find any pictures of the interior, but it was, it's one of these very ornate, old school Lutheran churches. But I have a lot of memories growing up there. You know, Christ the King was a little, you know, more new, but still kind of that feel. Uh, you know, St. John is this old, classic Lutheran church, but I have been to churches that have garage doors. Like, this is a church in Katy where I've been to a few conferences. I have friends who go there, a buddy who's an elder at this church, and the first time I walked in, I was like, I didn't think I would ever be jealous of, like, a church's garage doors, but, like, that's the coolest idea I've ever seen. And then, like, immediately, I'm like, that's stupid. Why, like, what's going on with me? And then you look at narrative church, right? Now, we've, we've talked about, you know, narrative is a great space to be, but, like, we've got microwaves at the front of worship. I've dared people to microwave a burrito in a sermon. Because here's the deal, I would just sit down and watch you. But, you know, it's, there's no disguising as much as we... We create the space when we come in here. It's not like as we start tearing down, you're going, oh my gosh, this is a cafeteria, right? Like it's not revealed all of a sudden that's, that, that's what this was. But I think it's tempting for us that when we talk about the church, we get locked into a place, into a building. And that's not... 100% wrong, but it's definitely not right. And so what I want us to think about today is as we talk about Jesus walking alongside us as a church, what does that mean? And what are maybe some misconceptions we have, but what is the brilliance that God shows us in the midst of it? Now, as we look and we go through some of our, our scripture that we read today, I love here in Hebrews so Hebrews 10 says this, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, real quick, when it's like you see the day drawing near, it's not like Christmas, like, you know, here it comes. They're talking about 
the end of days, right? The day. So as Hebrews is being written, it's saying, listen, as you see the end times coming, don't be like, oh, don't worry, Jesus is coming soon, so I can just nap, right? Jesus is coming soon, so let's schedule a brunch right in the middle of when church is happening. No, the writer of Hebrews says, no, do not neglect meeting together. There is importance in us coming together as the church. So much so that the writer of Hebrews says, listen, some people are neglecting this. But this needs to be a part of what we do. Now, this is what gets challenging because it's obviously important for us to be coming together. The writer of Hebrews wouldn't have written it if it wasn't important because we confess that Scripture is the Word of God. So if Scripture is the Word of God and we say, hey, this is important, then us meeting together is a big deal. There's a reason that we're here at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings to set up coffee and the altar and the welcome center and the signs and the live stream and all of these things is because we think it's important for us to meet together. We think it's a big deal. Now, the reason we meet together is not because like we're taking attendance, right? Church I grew up in, Christ the King, a great church, but I still remember, hey, if you want to pull the friendship book, and I love that it was called the friendship book, like, because it's like, we're checking if you're here, but it's friendly, right? Like, and so it's like, would you please take the friendship book and fill that out for you and your family? And this was a moment of argument in the Daring family. Who got to fill out the friendship book? <laughs> but then I realized as I got older, like, they were checking that. I just thought, there's just a place for me to write my name down. No, like, there were people. The friendship book got torn out and taken to the back, and there were people keeping attendance. Now, in some ways, that's great. Because if in a church, Christ the King was larger, so they could say, hey, we haven't seen, you know, so-and-so for a long time. We should check in. That's great. But also, they were keeping attendance. And that was kind of weird. I was like, oh, big brother, out here, you know. And my dad was big brother. It was this weird thing. You know, here's the thing. It's like, for us, you weren't missing the darings. You knew, because that meant pastor was on vacation, Right? Like you knew when you weren't getting the Daring Friendship book. And that's, again, it's not a bad thing. It's a process for a structure to say, hey, we, because it says, stir up one another to love and good works. So how do we do that? We come together and we stir each other up to love and good works. And so the church has built systems and ways to say, we want to keep doing that. The problem becomes when we start going, Listen, you got perfect attendance, you're going to heaven. You didn't, that's tough. But that's not how it works. You see, the system can become sacred. And that's not what we're looking for. The system is part of what helps us, right? Narrative Church has had different systems over the years. Now, the problem is their pastor is a person who learns systems, not like a great, like systems are his thing. And so... Some systems have lasted and some lasted a week. Um, but we have different systems. But you know what? If a system stops working, we're not going to be afraid to be like, no, nah, that's gone. 
Because the system is not sacred. What's sacred is us meeting together to stir each other up to good works. To come together as the body of Christ and say, hey, we want to be together because we think we need the word of God. Listen, we're out there all week and we get the word of God in different places, but we want to come here together and as a people say, this is a place where we come for the word of God. And listen, as, as your pastor, as a church planter, when I am talking to people about narrative church who don't go here or who haven't experienced church planting, you want to know like their number one question? So when are you getting them building? And my response has started to be, listen, you got $5 million, I will build it tomorrow. But listen, to get three acres, I need at least $2 million. And then I got to put infrastructure on it. Like I've done the research. So if you've got the money, I got the time. We'll make it happen. But it's fascinating because, you know, we have been meeting <laughs> all over the place, <laughs> right? We were in a school for a long time. And then we were like, COVID. And then we met in a beer garden. And let me tell you, so blessed to have a place to meet. Matt and I looked at each other uh, this week and we're like, could you imagine this summer in the beer garden? <laughs> like, I would, we've just been giving out those little, like, you know, fans, like rechargeable fans. It just, you come to Narrative Church, it would, like, just as you walked in. But we've lived kind of this nomadic life in our life as a church, and it always kind of catches me off guard when someone goes, so when are you going to be a real church and have a building? And I'm like, well, I think we already are. <laughs> like, And so it's taking those things and saying, listen, would I love a place where we could show up on Sunday mornings and I wouldn't have to burn our time with setup and teardown? 100%. Listen, you would come in, I'd have a hammock in the back. I'd be like, I showed up early just because I didn't have to set up and tear down. There's huge blessings to it. But you know what the other thing is? I was, this summer, I was meeting with um, a pastor down in South Austin. I had to pick something up for youth gathering. And he and I just got talking. He goes, yeah, we're looking at $2 million to redo our AC. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I don't know if we've spent that much money in our lifetime as a church. <laughs> but you need it. Like, listen, you're not going to walk into that room without AC. Like, that is a priority. I get it. I've talked to my dad about the things he's had to do. He, they, um, they had someone come in who was a new facilities manager for them. She's a good friend of ours, and she had been a project lead at ExxonMobil before she started homeschooling one of their boys, and she has a little extra time now that he's gone back to school. And she was like, hey, I'd love to help out at church if, if you get it. Now, this, this woman's been amazing. After Hurricane Harvey, she basically took over all of the logistics for Harvey Health that they did. And for a month and a half, they were running teams every day out of church that were going out and helping people. She just, she gets it. She's got that great systematic building mind. So the first thing she did when she came in and there hadn't been a real solid presence on facilities was she just went to every closet in the church and found paint. 130 gallons 
of paint. Because what happened was someone would buy paint for a project, and then the next time they needed that paint, they'd go, hey, do you know where that paint is? Nah, just go buy another gallon. She was not happy about the paint situation. So I look around and go, listen, there's setup and teardown, but when I leave this building on Sunday, if something goes wrong, it's not on me. <laughs> but what we can take is we can take and make things sacred. We can take a building and say, we're not really a church until we have a building. There are benefits of having a building. Now, I've seen it go to the other side. I've seen people go, well, you know, the best churches don't have buildings. And I'm like, you obviously have a building because let me tell you, <laughs> is it different? Sure. But I remember rolling up here after we were allowed back in the schools and it was the first day we we're going to be back in AC. It was going to be great. And Matt and I get to the door and it's locked. <laughs> and we're like, they're just late. We wait 15 minutes. We peer in. They haven't set up the chairs. The, the, the tables are still down for school. We finally get a hold of one of the custodians. Oh, we thought you guys were starting next week. <laughs> so we had church quick setup that Sunday. The systems are not sacred. What's sacred is us gathering together, whether it be in a building, in a rented facility, or, you know, around the world, people just meet under trees. The glory of God is not about what we can build or how big it can be or all those things. Those are all systems to facilitate our meeting together. The goal is us meeting together. If tomorrow, and I pray it doesn't happen, but if tomorrow the school said, nope, we're cutting off your rent, no more rentals, we would find something we would pile everyone into my living room. It would be hot and uncomfortable, but we'd do it. Because the importance is not the place. It's that we meet together to encourage each other towards love and good works. And the place isn't important because what's important is the people. Right? We build systems. We build these things to facilitate us coming together because in Matthew, Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am amongst them. Now, what I love about this piece of scripture, we quote this all over the place. And as a church planter, this is our favorite quote. Why? Because some days it's just two or three people and you gotta go, Lord, you're here, we did it. Mission accomplished. It's me and my wife. The Lord is here, right? Because some days you have that. The last couple times we did First Fridays, and people were busy towards those months in the summer. So it was me and Matt. And it was like, well, Lord's here. <laughs> and that's just how it goes sometimes. But what I love is we take that verse and we, we use it, and it's great to be used like that, but it's in the midst of Matthew 18, which is the chapter about when you sin against someone, how do you figure it out? This entire chapter is about when someone sins against you or you sin against them, here's how you handle it. Here's how you take care of your business because what Jesus knew was that the church was going to be full of people. And let me tell you, 
as personal experience of being a person. I'm not perfect. Listen, I, I'm not perfect on the daily. I send a text message to Chelsea that I think is just like, hey, how you doing? And she's like, well, that was rude. I'm like, what did I do? But then I look at it and I go, it was rude. I was, I was upset about something and, and it went through text form like that. You know, I, I get it. I am people in the midst of the church. And so in the midst of Matthew 18, which talks about when your brother or sister sins against you, here's how you handle it. You go talk to them. You start figuring it out. Hey, if you two can't figure it out, you bring a couple others. If you can't figure it out there, then you bring the church. And let me tell you, when you bring the church, that's bad news, right? Like, because here we are, we're all together. Now, what's fascinating is then we take it, and what, what Jesus says in Matthew is he says, and if they don't hear the church, you treat them as you would a tax collector, which is phenomenal because what the church has done is been like, aha, we can shun people, which just is hilarious to me. Because it's like, how does Jesus treat tax collectors? He eats at their house. Like so often we go, oh yeah, this person sinned against me. And we don't even go to like the first step of telling them. We go, I should just shun them like a tax collector. And it's like, yeah, but like that's who Jesus hung out with. So when he says, treat them as you would a tax collector, he's saying, as if they don't know the Lord. As if there's someone far away. And then as we get to the bottom, he says, listen, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, which is actually the Greek translation that you start out with in seminary because it's got all these things in it. I don't know why I shared that. Just erase that last part. But this verse, which you bind and loose in heaven, is about saying, listen, when you forgive sins, they're forgiven. They're done in heaven. They are bound and loosed. That's the power you have from the Lord. And in fact, Listen, you're worried about how many people you need. Like, what's, what's the math equation? Because that's what we do as humans, right? We want to take our faith and treat it as a magical incantation. We want to take our faith and we want to go, well, listen, the Lord told me I have to do this and this and this, and then I'll get this, right? So, you know, a pinch of grace plus a little bit of holy water, and then I get this. But no, what the Lord is saying is like, listen, no. It's not an incantation. It's not something like that. It's wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. We use this so often to say, yeah, like, listen, the church is wherever two or three are gathered. But what's even deeper is Jesus is saying, yeah, that's true, but it's where two or three are gathered and they're figuring out their problems. That the church is not going to be perfect. And listen, we live in a day and age where the church is perfecting not being perfect. It feels like every day I'm reading a new article about what is happening in churches across our country. And it breaks my heart. The first reason is, it's a lot harder to be a pastor. That's the selfish reason. Because when other pastors are messing up, you know who looks bad? Pastors. So then you got to introduce yourself to a new person. What do you do? I'm a pastor. They're like, great. See you later. But what breaks my heart even more is the witness we have that's being lost. Because we as the church can't admit when we do wrong. And let me tell you, I've had to do that. I've sat down with people and said, I messed this up. 
I can own what I've done wrong. There are things that people have put on me that aren't true. They experienced it, but that's not what happened. But I can look at that situation when someone has a one-on-one with me and says, hey, here's what I experienced. And I can take a deep breath and go, listen, wherever two or three are gathered, that's the church. And so if we're working through problems, if we're working together, that is the church. Some days it will be brilliant. It will be awesome. It will be the church picnic, right? Where everyone's having a good time. We're all eating food and it's just a great day. And then some days it'll be like, oh, we got to meet in a beer garden. (laughs) And that's just how the church goes. But Jesus promises us wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. And it's very specific to not say where one is gathered. Because that's our temptation, is to look and to say, well, I can do this on my own. But since the dawn of creation... God looked and said, it is not good for humankind to be alone. We live together. We walk together because in togetherness, we find that the Lord calls us to more. You know what I really don't like? Is when my friends call me out for my junk. That is not enjoyable. If you enjoy that, we should have a discussion. But I have a good buddy, Phil. Phil and I have been friends since our seminary days. And it's really annoying because when I call him to complain about something, he tries to fix me. He tries to to help me grow in following Jesus. And I'm like, I hear you, but I want to complain. I don't want to grow. I just want you to join me on Complainer's Island. Why don't you do that? Because he looks at me and he says, the Lord has more for you. And that's what we do together as the church. As we do two things, we encourage each other to love God and love our neighbors. You know what we also should be doing? Do you know who's part of your neighbors? You. Because love your neighbor as your self. So we struggle and we walk through life together as the church, because wherever we gather, we know the Savior is with us. I want us to look at Colossians 15 here. We're going to look um, 15 to 18. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is the head of the body the church. We don't neglect meeting together because we know we are a people who are in need 
of being encouraged in our faith because Christ is preeminent. He is before all things. He is in all things. And He is the ruler and the head of His body, the church. Now, the way we often refer to it is there's a little c church and a big c church. That's a lowercase and an uppercase, right? The little c church would be narrative church. The local expression of the church here, right? So when we talk about, oh, my church, that's narrative local expression here. When we talk about the church, we're talking about all those who are bound up in the saving grace of Jesus for us. That as we walk through this life, he has organized his people to walk together. Because he is preeminent. He is above all things. He is in all things. He calls us forward. So we build systems. We build ways to come and join together. We understand that we are people and that we struggle through life together. But it's all because we have a Savior who when he had a choice said, I will go to the cross for my people. That the church is more than a building. It's even more than a people. The church is a king who said, I will come down from my throne and I will redeem my people. And when I redeem my people, I will call them into something more. I will call them to join together. From now until the end of time, they will join together in middle school classrooms, in cathedrals, in warehouses, in everything in between, because they will believe and understand that coming together as the body of Christ is important as we seek to follow Him. There is nothing overtly holy about how we meet together in a cafeteria until the Lord of the universe says, that's my home because my people have showed up. That Jesus walks with us. We come together on Sundays. And I know we talk about needing volunteers. We talk about all these different things we do. We grind the coffee. You don't grind the coffee. I grind the coffee. We make the coffee. We do all those things. And why do we do it? Because we say, hey, this is family coming together. We think it's important for us to be together in the Word of God because the King of Kings came down for us and He is the head. And if He is the King of even the church, then we will follow Him. So that means as we walk forward as the church, as we walk forward as narrative church, that our story is His story. That where we go is where He goes. That we are faithful in being present, not because we're going to take your attendance, but we're faithful in being present because we want to be stirred up in love and good works. We are faithful in relationship together. Not because it's perfect, but because even in the midst of our struggles, we see the Lord in and amongst us. And we are faithful in being a church because we know who is in charge. And He walks 
before us, with us, behind us. Jesus walks with our church. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks and praise that you lead us forward as your church. We ask that as we go, you would take our path. Lord, don't let our systems become sacred. Don't let our physical place become sacred. Don't let our ideas become sacred. The only thing that is sacred is your people gathered to receive your gifts and worship you. Let your words stir in us this week as we seek you in everything we do. In your son Jesus' name, amen.